welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynne Rockman, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. If there is ever a time when love is needed on this earth, it is all the time, every day of our lives. And just as those negative qualities, such as hate and rage, can build up a momentum over time, increasing the destructive power within, wreaking havoc in individual lives, communities, and the world, so too, in those higher qualities, such as sincere love and compassion for our fellow citizens, build up a momentum and increase the power of our loving energy to levels unimaginable, and bringing forth to individuals, nations, and all mankind and Mother Earth those things which are constructive, such as divine love for one another divine justice for all, divine healing of our hearts and minds, and all that we, as individuals, the nation, and the world, may require for the expansion of our collective consciousness and our move from darkness into the light. So let us build up a loving momentum by staying in the flow of love, to increase the power of our loving energy, reaching all mankind all over the world. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life and y'all be loved. Deeply embedded in the heart of some ancient forest, we find here and there a massive and hoary boulder, its antiquity far exceeding that of the venerable trees, and its whole appearance telling of a distant soil and a bygone day. As we sit upon the granite block, with the branches waving high above our heads, our wonder at its presence is deepened by the quiet scene. For countless ages that great stone has lain motionless, lifeless, changeless, amid all the infinite movement of changing life around it. No human power brought that huge mass where it lies, no I can trace the path along which it was driven by the forces of nature. And not until we have traced the mighty variations and convulsions which in the recesses of time our whole globe has undergone, not until we have looked back far beyond the earliest seed time of the forest, to the days when the surrounding country for hundreds of miles formed the bottom of an immense ocean, through which the icebergs bore the huge rocks torn from its frozen shores, can we understand the position of that primeval stone. Something of a similar character may not unfrequently be discerned in regard to the religious belief and worship of a nation, when a tradition or custom survives the convulsions and changes of the centuries, and remains firmly embedded in the national life, though every trace of significance is long buried in the past. Most superstitions, it is probable, had once an intelligible meaning, even if that meaning were founded on a mistaken belief, 
but such survivals are by no means due to superstition alone. Who, for instance, can explain the Latin titles used for the Psalms in the prayer book of the Church of England, without going back more than 350 years to the time when England used the same language in her public worship as the rest of Christendom. So in the Latin Mass the Kyrie Eleeson betrays its connection with the Greek, and the word Hosanna in the office for Palm Sunday carries us back to the Hebrew. But there is one word in particular which is employed not on any special occasion but in every service, not once or twice but after every petition, not as a portion of the prayer but as its summary and its seal. If a stranger stand outside the closed doors of a church while service is going on, there is one word, and probably but one which he would hear distinctly repeated again and again. Amen, 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 that is the aspiration which time after time comes rolling forth with the full strength of choir and congregation. That is the word by which the Apostle denotes the absolute nature of the Deity as compared with created matter. In Him all things are Amen. That is the title with which the seer of the Apocalypse invokes the advent of his Divine Master at the conclusion of the vision, Amen, Veni Domini Yesu. That is the title which the Master assumed to himself, Amen, I say to you. And that is the title by which the Egyptian priests of old addressed the secret deity, Amen, that is to say, in Egyptian, the Hidden One. That the existence of the One God was widely known by some classes of men at least among the nations of antiquity there can be little doubt. Among the Chinese, according to the most eminent authority, Dr. Legge, the word T represented the same idea as we expressed by the word God, and its assumption as a title by the earliest dynasty of the emperors of China would be quite in accordance with the ancient belief that the monarch ruled as the divine representative. When the disciples of Manu approached that sage to beg for instruction in the wisdom which afterwards formed the foundation of Indian law, they addressed him as follows, For thou, O Lord, alone knowest the purport, or rights, and the knowledge taught in the whole ordinance of the self-existent, Svayambu, which is unknowable and unfathomable. And their master, in his reply, laid down the principle of the one uncreated God, the giver of light. The divine self-existent, he said, indiscernible, making the elements and the rest discernible, appeared with creative force, dispelling the darkness. Equally explicit are the utterances of some of the Greek poets. One self-begotten, from whom all things sprang, is one of the lines attributed to the famous Orpheus. To God all things are easy, not impossible, so sang Linus, a brother of the same bright band. A fuller but not less accurate description is given by Xenophanes, one God there is, greatest amongst gods and men, not like to mortals, or in form or thought. In full he sees, he hears, in full he knows, and without labor doth his mind move all. But the truths which sparkle here and there in the teachings of India, China, or of Greece, fade and vanish before the blaze of Egyptian theosophy. Take for example, the following extract given by Mr. Budge from the hymn to Amun-Ra, the hidden deity, the self-existent light. Hail to thee, Ra, Lord of Law, whose shrine is hidden, Master of the gods, the god Chepera, self-existent light, in his boat, by the sending forth of his word the gods sprang into existence. Hail, God Amu, light, maker of mortals. However, many are their forms, he causes them to live, he makes different the color of one man from another. He hears the prayers of him that is oppressed, he is kind of heart to him that calls unto him, he delivers him that is afraid from him that is strong of heart, he judges between the mighty and the weak. O form, one, creator of all things. O one, only maker of existences. Men came forth from his two eyes, the God sprang into existence at the utterance of his mouth. He maketh the green herb to make the cattle live, and the staff of life for the use of man. 
He maketh the fish to live in the rivers, the winged fowl in the sky, he giveth the breath of life to the germany egg, he maketh birds of all kinds to live, and likewise the reptiles that creep and fly, he causeth the rats to live in their holes, and the birds that are on every green twig. Hail to thee, O maker of all these things, thou only one. Nor was the unity the only truth concerning the Godhead known to the priesthood of Egypt. Throughout the extent of the kingdom, at Thebes, at Ambos, at Tentera, at Memphis, at Anu or on, a triune god, of whom some knowledge seems to have been attained by Greece, invoked by many names, but everywhere consisting of three persons, consubstantial and co-eternal, was worshipped as supreme. Aimdmu in the morning, says the Creator, in a well-known passage, Ra at noon, and Harmachi in the evening, that is to say, as the dawn, the noon, and the sunset, which these names denote, are three several forms coexisting perpetually and coequally in the substance of the sun, so also did the three divine persons coexist perpetually and coequally in the substance of the uncreated light. No less profound was the relation between the Creator and His works, as intimated in their well-known symbol for created life, called the Ankh, or sacred mirror, wherein every great deity contemplates perpetually his own image, but which is rarely grasped in the hand of any except Amen. But how should the universe be represented by a mirror, and, if it be, why should the heavenly powers behold themselves reflected in it? According to the teaching of Aquinas, the universe exists in a twofold manner, first ideally in the mind of God, and secondly materially externally to Him, so that in creation the Almighty contemplates His own mind as in a mirror. As a dramatist before he gives living expression to his characters, conceives in his own mind their forms, their countenances, their actions, passions, and conditions of life, with all the details of their environment, and as his work reflects the image of the author's mind, so in the Theosophy of Egypt did the entire cosmos, embracing all space, all time, and all orders of created being, reflect a single thought in the mind of the Creator. Mystery is to God only what privacy is to man, our sense of which deepens with deepening intimacy. And though three hundred years of continuous wrangling over the secret truths which most profoundly affect the heart and mind have gone far to coarsen and deaden our spiritual sense, the soul still resents, as the most unpardonable offense, the profanation of a vulgar touch. For whether we acknowledge it or not, the springs of our entire existence are hidden. From the darkness of the womb to the darkness of the tomb, the source of our every action is veiled from us. Mystery is the beginning, mystery is the ending, mystery is the whole body of our life. We cannot breathe, nor sleep, nor eat, nor move, far less think or speak, without exercising powers which to us are inconceivable, by means of processes which to us are inscrutable. Who is so ignorant as not to know these things, who so learned as to make them clear? Most powerful and most hidden of all is the passion which grows the more reticent in proportion as it is more enduring, the passion which dominates at once the senses and the spirit, the master mystery of love. But love himself was none other than the hidden God. In Greece, where some rays of Egyptian wisdom penetrated with a brightness denied to more distant lands, this truth was not unknown. Love was the third in the trinity of Hesiod. And in Parmenides we read how strife has entered into the deepest places, but in the center love stands calm. But in the teaching of Egypt, the Creator's love so conspicuous in the sublime hymn already quoted, is the motive power of the universe, the secret energy of the light. I am the inundation, says the Creator in the ritual, the fullness of the torrent of life. And again, I am the fount of joy, the inexhaustible source of happiness, to the soul. The House of the Hidden Places, by W. Marsham Adams, 1895
Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 4. Considering that Deuteronomy tells us that the Lord himself buried Moses in a valley of Moab, 34, 6, and no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day, this biblical lapsus ingui of Jude gives a strong coloring to the assertions of some of the Gnostics. They claimed but what was secretly taught by the Jewish Kabbalists themselves, to wit, that the highest supreme God was unknown and invisible, the King of Light is a closed eye, that Ildabaoth, the Jewish second Adam, was the real Demiurge, and that Iyao, Adonai, Sabaoth, and Elor were the quaternary emanation which formed the unity of the God of the Hebrews, Jehovah. Moreover, the latter was also called Michael and Samael by them, and regarded but as an angel, several removes from the Godhead. In holding to such a belief, the Gnostics countenanced the teachings of the greatest of the Jewish doctors, Hillel, and other Babylonian divines. Josephus shows the great deference of the official synagogue in Jerusalem to the wisdom of the schools of Central Asia. The colleges of Sora, Pambiditha, and Nidea were considered the headquarters of esoteric and theological learning by all the schools of Palestine. The Chaldean version of the Pentateuch, made by the well-known Babylonian divine, Onkelos, was regarded as the most authoritative of all, and it is according to this learned rabbi that Hillel and other Tanaim after him held that the being who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, on Mount Sinai, and who finally buried him, was the angel of the Lord, Memro, and not the Lord himself, and that he whom the Hebrews of the Old Testament mistook for Eho was but his messenger, one of his sons, or emanations. All this establishes but one logical conclusion, namely, that the Gnostics were by far the superiors of the disciples, in point of education and general information, even in a knowledge of the religious tenets of the Jews themselves. While they were perfectly well versed in the Chaldean wisdom, the well-meaning, pious, but fanatical as well as ignorant disciples, unable to fully understand or grasp the religious spirit of their own system, were driven in their disputations to such convincing logic as the use of brute beasts, sows, dogs, and other epithets so freely bestowed by Peter. Since then, the epidemic has reached the apex of the sacerdotal hierarchy. H.P. Blavatsky From the day when the founder of Christianity uttered the warning, that he who shall say to his brother, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire, all who have passed as its leaders, beginning with the ragged fishermen of Galilee, and ending with the jeweled pontiffs, have seemed to vie with each other in the invention of opprobrious epithets for their opponents. So we find Luther passing a final sentence on the Catholics, and exclaiming that the papists are all asses, put them in whatever form you like, whether they are boiled, roasted, baked, fried, skinned, hashed, they will always be the same asses. Calvin called the victims he persecuted, and occasionally burned, malicious barking dogs, full of bestiality and insolence, base corruptors of the sacred writings, etc. Dr. Warburton terms the popish religion an impious farce, and Monsignor Dupinloup asserts that the Protestant Sabbath service is the devil's mass, and all clergymen are thieves and ministers of the devil. The same spirit of incomplete inquiry and ignorance has led the Christian Church to bestow on its most hop apostles, titles assumed by their most desperate opponents, the heretics and Gnostics. So we find, for instance, Paul termed the vase of election vas electionas, a title chosen by Manes, the greatest heretic of his day in the eyes of the church, Manes meaning, in the Babylonian language, the chosen vessel or receptacle. So with the Virgin Mary. They were so little gifted with originality, that they copied from the Egyptian and Hindu religions their several apostrophes to their respective virgin mothers. 
The juxtaposition of a few examples will make this clear. If the Virgin Mary has her nuns, who are consecrated to her and bound to live in chastity, so had Isis her nuns in Egypt, as Vesta had hers at Rome, and the Hindu Nari, mother of the world hers. The virgins consecrated to her cultus, the devadasi of the temples, who were the nuns of the days of old, lived in great chastity, and were objects of the most extraordinary veneration, as the holy women of the goddess. Would the missionaries and some travelers reproachfully point to the modern devadasis, or notch girls? For all response, we would beg them to consult the official reports of the last quarter century, cited in Chapter 2, as to certain discoveries made at the raising of convents, in Austria and Italy. Thousands of infant skulls were exhumed from ponds, subterranean vaults, and gardens of convents. Nothing to match this was ever found in heathen lands. H.P. Blavatsky Volume 16 Now at various points on the surface of the earth there have been temples or localities dedicated to one or more of the angelic host. Wherever that dedication is sincere, wherever it has been continued in recognition by unascended beings, wherever it is given attention, one or more of the ascended host has been established there or have established the focus of the sacred fire there, to be the fulfillment of the constructive calls the individuals in that location or that temple have sent forth to life. The angelic host are the activities of perfection the cosmic law has provided. The cosmic law is embodied in the great cosmic beings who have created this system of worlds. Therefore, those cosmic beings have created certain ones of the angelic host who have never yet been in physical embodiment. But don't let anybody under this radiation ever accept there's any such a thing as a fallen angel. There isn't, regardless of all the literature on the earth. In the first place, most of the angelic host are ascended beings. Those who have been created by the cosmic beings to be a focus of, and direct the sacred love of the sacred fire's immortal purity, have never come into physical embodiment, so, they couldn't fall. This misinformation that has gone forth to mankind through the centuries is a misunderstanding and a misconcept of what has occurred in the past. So please remember, the angelic host are either ascended beings or are the great divine beings of the sacred love of the sacred fire's almighty purity that have never touched discord, so they can't create anything but perfection. I hope to clear this concept, at least in your minds. And if you will, then there is no limit to what the ascended beings, the angelic host, can draw in, through, and around you, if you would associate with them as consistently and as determinedly as you do every day with each other. Won't you accept my legions of the angelic host? Applause. Thank you so much precious ones. Beloved Archangel Michael. Now in times of great disasters, epidemics, plagues, distress of various kinds, where the call to God has gone forth for relief from the condition, the beings of the sacred fire who came have been the angelic host. The angelic host are the ones who draw the sacred love of the sacred fire's immortal purity, and an individual focus of that sacred fire, into certain conditions to consume what is wrong, to strengthen and protect everything that is constructive, and to be the illumining consciousness to unascended beings to show the intellect the right thing to do. And very often when people have received great illumination and understanding that was the truth, 
it is because one of the angelic host, or sometimes more, has drawn around the individual the heart flame of sacred fire love that has shut off all vibratory action for the time being, until the true concepts of the ascended master's consciousness could fill the intellect, and pour the purifying love into the energy of the emotional body, the feeling world, until the individual's concept was clarified, and the individual received the full idea of perfection, and the love to make it manifest in the physical octave. This has gone on millions of times throughout the world. There is not one constructive call that goes forth to the beloved I am presence and the ascended host, or even to the great acknowledgement of the sacred love of the sacred fire, that life does not answer. Every call that is constructive can be answered and will be released by the beloved I am presence and the ascended host, wherever that call goes forth sincerely and with determination that the outer self must stand its discord, impurity, aside while the answer to the call is given. And if those of you who want miracle manifestations, before you ask for those manifestations, command yourselves, turn back to your beloved I am presence and demand that it fill you with whatever violet consuming flames eternal purity forces everything human in you to stand aside, go into the violet flame and be consumed. And then call your beloved I am presence and the angelic host to blaze in, through and around you that which we know will help you the most at that time, and at the same time hold the protection around whatever you need. Whatever you are calling into existence, call for it to come automatically protected. Mankind has not done this, not even the student body. You've asked for things. You've asked for help, but how often have you called to your beloved I am presence and the ascended host to call for whatever fulfills your call to make it eternally the prevention of all wrong, eternally free from all wrong. If mankind had done this, the constructive things that have been built in this world would not have been dissolved by the destructive forces. Therefore, the sinister force cannot use the sacred love of the sacred fire. The sinister force cannot interfere with any service the angelic host choose to give. The sinister force cannot prevent the almighty authority of sacred fire love and purity for the purification of this earth from coming to this world and fulfilling the divine plan. So, don't give the sinister force any more power. Applause. Thank you so much. We are here to clothe you in the angelic host's miracle mantle of love's mastery and the angelic host's miracle mantle of love's miracle perfection, miracle manifestations, and miracle victory of invincible protection that keeps you eternally untouched by human creation. I'm going to continue to bring this to your attention and charge it in, through and around you and through you until you get the concept intellectually. And then my heart's flame shall blaze it through you by love you cannot resist, until you are free. Applause. Thank you so much. Beloved Archangel Michael, 